listeners, hello. Welcome back to Habit Helps, a podcast of Creekside Community Church in San Leandro, California, where we are talking about how habits build you and about how you can build better habits. I'm Jeff Bruce, one of the pastors here. I'm joined by my dad. He's a pastor here. He's also my dad, and he's a pastor here, and he happens to be my dad. Dad, how are you doing today? Oh, celebrating redundancy. Celebrating... (laughs) I'm doing great. Thanks. Good. Well, we are back again, and we are wrapping up today that our conversation on the habits of a disciple maker, the habits of a disciple maker. We've all heard probably that a Christian is a disciple. If you've been a Christian for a while, that's a common idea. Uh, But the case we have been trying to make is that a disciple is by definition a disciple maker. Because if you are following Jesus, you are doing what he said. You are a student of Jesus, and Jesus said, make disciples. Right. So if you're really faithful to Jesus, then you are going to be faithful to that commission to make disciples as well. That's what we've been focused on. And, you know, I've been thinking about this, Dad, and I'm really convicted uh, just hearing back, (laughs) listening to our podcasts, of how I have not focused on this. Mm. And and, and I've thought two things, and I'm curious if you resonate with this. On the one hand, there's nothing more foundational to our calling as Christians uh, than making disciples. Right, right. That, that the fruit of our lives will be making disciples if we're following Jesus. Right. That is just basic to who we are. So it is absolutely foundational, and yet in my experience, there is nothing more difficult than making disciples. Right, right. And I instinctively go toward programs, toward tasks, toward working on the church and the structures, and all of those things are important, but I gra- I do not gravitate toward making disciples. I gravitate toward almost anything else right. in ministry. Right, right. No, I think that's common throughout the church uh, in, in the world. It's always, as I think Coleman makes that point, that, that the church always has a, tr- has, is always drifting away for making disciples and looking for some other goal or some kind of shortcut to make disciples rather than the hard work of actually loving people. And, and uh, I think the reason I gravitate toward the other things is because I can be in control. I, yeah. I, can, I can do those. I can achieve this goal. I can set up this system. All that. But when you're dealing directly with people, you really are making yourself their servant. And, and uh, the whole, it's not a straight line. A lot of times, you really have to love people and be patient with them to, to hang in there with them to help them to grow. And it really is a test of your own faith in God because there's a failure rate. Absolutely, we're dealing with human beings who have their own will and volition. Yeah, and, and so I think there is this temptation to do things we can control. Exactly. I remember one of my friends making the point that we cannot mass produce disciples. Right. It cannot be mass-produced. And I think that's the temptation, that if we just get the teaching right and the programs right and our systems right, then it's like this factory that churns out disciples and people who are conformed to Christ. And, and the problem with that metaphor is it's one the Bible never gives for disciple-making. In fact, the predominant metaphor for disciple-making is parenting. Yeah, That's the one that Paul uses the most. And, and that's a real gut check. Not that systems and structures are, are unimportant, but just as you can't mass-produce uh, well-adjusted, well-raised children, <laughs> so you can't mass-produce disciples. A child has to be parented intentionally, and they will take on your likeness for better or worse. 
And and I think that's the sobering thing for us as we talk about this is is, is that uh, the amount of relational investment necessary here goes far beyond what any system or program can offer. Yeah, and and that's the point. That's really the point because Christ is making us like Himself and teaching us to love the way He loves. And the only way you can really make disciples is by loving people. It, yeah. uh, you've got to be thoroughly committed to the person. Yeah. Had um, mass production of disciples been a possibility, Jesus could have created a perfect system on the earth to do it. Yeah. But that's not the model he gave us. He invested deeply in a few. Yeah. Who then invested deeply in a few. And that's really the case I think we are making in this podcast is to reconceptualize ministry. Yes. The basic ministry that you do as taking a few people to invest in. Right. The encouraging side of that, though, is that any Christian can do it. Um, I think we we tend to look at ministry in terms of education, um, gifts, skills, um, being able to, to speak well, all these things, and yet you don't need any of those things to be a good disciple-maker. Right. That, that anybody can be a good disciple-maker if they're willing to... To, uh, to parent, to put in the effort to, to love people and to help them to grow as you grow. Yeah, yeah, persistence is really the non-negotiable yeah, in, in this. And so all that is preamble, really, for what we are talking about today, which is reproduction, the, the eighth habit that Coleman talks about. And just as a reminder, we're using Robert Coleman's classic work, The Master Plan of Evangelism, uh, because it provides this helpful template for what disciple-making is. Here's how Jesus made disciples. And so the surest roadmap that we have for how to do this is what Jesus gives us. And so we've talked about selection, association, consecration, impartation, demonstration, delegation, supervision. And now, in the eighth chapter of the book, Coleman really talks about the fruit of the process, reproduction. Right. Right. So initial thoughts, Dad, on reproduction. Well, the thing that I thought about is that, that Jesus is reproducing his life and his ministry through each of his disciples. So his goal for every Christian is not to become a faithful church attender, but his goal is for them to continue his work in the world. And that's why Jesus says, as the Father sent me, uh, I have sent you in John mm-hmm. 17, 17. And why in John 15, when he talks about, I am the branch, I am the vine, you are the branches, that every branch in me that bears fruit, God prunes it may bear more fruit. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. That right. bearing fruit, that is producing, reproducing more disciples, is really the thing that Christ has given us to do. And so the whole Great Commission is not go into the, all the world and make converts. It's going to all the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe all I commanded you. And I think that's an important distinction because even the title of the book, The Master Plan of Evangelism, we immediately think of an evangelistic campaign right. of some kind, where we get a bunch of people in the room and share the gospel, or, or, or we, we, we just get people together. And once we get them in front of the guy or, or the woman who can articulate the gospel compellingly, that's how we win the world. And that's not at all what Coleman is talking about here. And, and I think it's important to, to see that, I, I just think this is important to, to reiterate at this point, that, that a distinction has been made between evangelism and discipleship that is not a biblical distinction. Right, 
in the way we think about those terms. We think of evangelism as just declaring the gospel to non-believers, and then once they become Christians, now we do the deep work of kind of <laughs> discipleship, which is just about spiritual formation, really. It has nothing to do with reaching the world, discipleship. It just has to do with becoming a really holy, patient, loving person. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the, I would say those, those two ideas bleed into each other much more in the New Testament. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, uh, evangelism, you could just see it as the first step in making a disciple. Right. Getting the person reconciled to God. Yeah. And uh, so they can begin growing into what Christ has created them to be. But I like the idea of the master plan of evangelism because Jesus' master plan was to come into the world and invest personally Mm -hmm. in people because he knew that would be what had the most profound effect. And, And so... All of our substitutes for evangelism, campaigns, programs, um, books, or whatever, they may have some value, but the, the real heart is life impacting life. Right. Yeah, programs don't make disciples. People make disciples. Yeah, disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. Yeah. 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 That's good. That's good. So now that's, that's the whole point here. Mm-hmm. I just think of could, why don't you tell the story of Roy because I, I think I think Roy is a great example of this. Yeah, no, he is, and uh, I'm often convicted thinking about him. So when I was in college, I was mentored, discipled by a man named Roy, and and Roy is one of the most interesting men I've ever met. Uh, one of the most unique, probably um, called to celibacy, and um, he was an industrial pump salesman. I think he had a little bit of biblical training at some point, but. Uh, Basically, just a hardworking, blue-collar guy, but Roy loved the Bible as much as anyone I've ever met and loved young men as much as anyone I've ever met and really saw his calling to celibacy as, like the Apostle Paul, a calling to invest all of his capital, relational capital, financial capital, social capital, in raising up young men um, to know the faith. And Roy's model was so simple. It was really 1 Thessalonians 2, where Paul says that um, because you become dear to us, right, we, we were willing to share not only the gospel, but our very lives. I'm paraphrasing there. You can give the, the, the NASB word-by-word uh, <laughs> uh, memorization. But Roy, I, I think his model was three Bible studies a week. He'd get, you know, anywhere between five and 20 high school and college-age guys at these studies. He would, he, we never bought food. He would always prepare, I mean, just the best meal. He'd grill steaks. He would, he would do stuff. You know, it was, it, it was, uh, it, it was the, the most unhealthy meal we had all week. <laughs> Steak, potatoes, ice cream, you know, everything we wanted. Uh, and then from there, Roy never had a super detailed agenda for what we would do. He usually would start by saying, okay, what are you learning in the Word? And, and the culture was such that there was an expectation you would be in the Word. So sometimes we spent two hours just sharing and teaching each other what we were learning in the Word. Um, other times he'd say, okay, well, what do you want to read tonight? And sometimes we'd read through a book of the Bible. We, we read through Romans and then tried to summarize the argument. And so, you know, these would be three or four hours together, but some of the sweetest, most enjoyable times of my life. And what was amazing to see is um, the Word did the work. Um, guys got saved. I can't tell you how many guys got raised up and out went out into ministry from that. Uh, neighbors would show up sometimes, yeah. just kind of amazed at 
at Roy's hospitality, but it was really the gift of hospitality and then just a deep love of people. But, but it was never complicated. It was just tenacious persistence in investing in guys. Yeah. And there's a lot of things Roy did that he would never tell you, but um, you know, he, he paid for guys' college tuition when they were in a bind. He housed guys when they were homeless. I mean, just the, the things he did to serve us. Um, and Roy would always, whenever you left, Roy would say the same thing. He would say, Jesus loves you. Just remember, Jesus loves you. And so, yeah, he really left an impression. On, on so many of us. But I would just say that, that it was never complicated. Yeah, yeah. It, it was just deep affection and deep commitment to the Word. Yeah. Now, I remember when you graduated. I, I can't remember if it was graduated from college or from seminary, but mm -hmm. Roy attended. Yeah. And he had tears in his eyes. Yeah. And it was just, you could see how much he cared about you. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, was, it was great. And just going to that one, one meeting with you guys when I was down there, it was just... Just great to see a man who used everything he had in the making of disciples. Yeah. That he, his, there are guys all over the world because of Roy. Yeah. Serving the Lord. And, and, uh, you know, a simple, simple man. Yeah. Uh, just used what he had. It was a little house, little, simple little house. Yep. Simple meals and just a, a bunch of guys reading the Bible together. And yet, eternal eternal reproduction there of there's just been probably thousands of lives that have been touched through the guys that Roy has touched. A absolutely. And are now doing what he did with them. Yeah, exactly. But I think the things that really come out of that for me, um, one is it has to be clear to the people you're investing in that, that it costs you something, <laughs> right? That that's, <laughs> you know, Roy was generous with his time. Yeah. He was generous with his house. He was insanely generous with his money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he had a library of systematic theologies and Christian classics. And, you know, that was your parting gift sometimes when you leave. As Roy would just say, oh, you want one? Here you go. Yeah. You know, it's a 30 or $40 book. He would give them away all the time. Yeah. He, he would, I, I can't imagine his food budget every month. Um, you know, and so, but, but it, what it all communicated is how valuable you were to him. Yeah. Yeah. That there was nothing more important to him than you flourishing spiritually. Right. right. And there was nothing more important to him than to be in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He he was masterful at, you know, we'd get into the deep weeds of some theological controversy and and he was great at kind of navigating away from that sometimes and saying, "Yeah, you know, that's important, but but what is what is the text really try what, what's the takeaway here? What is the point that we're really supposed to take home?" You know, I mean, he's just so focused on getting us to see the point of the text and how it applied to our lives yeah. and what we needed to believe, what we needed to do. And so I just think um, the encouragement to you listeners out there is um, we learn by doing. We learn by doing. And yeah, the, the, this series of podcasts would be counterproductive if the takeaway is, okay, I need to write out this brilliant plan involving all eight of these habits and how I'm going to do them. <laughs> Yeah. You know, the, the, the real takeaway is open up your home and, and, and spend your life on a few people. Yeah. And then just get in the book and see. And then, and, and, and then as you do, the next steps will become clear. Yeah. 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 Because I just think the minute you professionalize discipleship and make it this thing where you need all of these competencies before you can even start, uh, it, it does such a disservice to the body of Christ. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, we, we learn by doing. 
Mm-hmm. We learn by doing, not by reading. Yeah. And uh, it's being trained by practice, yep. as Hebrews 5 says. And uh, yeah, you just have to start with, what do I know? And and start doing those things. Right. And uh, no, that's good. Yeah. Good example. Good example. Other thoughts you have? Well, I think... Um, Kind of just a few thoughts I have is 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 one is that disciples make disciples, so you can't take anybody any further than you've gone yourself. Yeah. So your own spiritual life is is really key, but your own spiritual life will grow mm-hmm. as a result of pouring out and giving to others. That's really really important. And so mm-hmm. no uh, written curriculum, or or books, or or video series or anything is going to have the impact that just you and your own walk with Christ and getting into his word and figuring out how to trust him and how to obey him and then helping somebody else do the same is going to have. Um, Something that took me a while to to realize is that discipleship is really about the development of habits. Um, You know, it's, it's, we change little by little by little. And so it's not just imparting information or information. I, I gave him the new information. It's it's really about help. It's like a it's like a coach. It's helping people to develop a few habits, uh, a habit of meeting with Christ every day in right. Word, a habit of of of, of giving yourself to other Christians, right. really being involved in in Christian community, yeah. and then uh, proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom to, right. to non-believers, mm-hmm. building a relationship with them. And if you can just focus on those three habits, which as we've said before, that's the way Jesus defines what a real disciple is, a person who abides in his word, who uh, loves the brethren, and who bears fruit. Um, if you can just help people to do those three things, uh, and, and that becomes a deeper and deeper habit, you're, you're changing lives there. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing is that how essential community is for transformation. Yeah. That we're called together. We need each other, right. and so it's not just just one on one, though that can have an impact. But it's really having a band, like you, like Roy did, a, mm-hmm. a band of brothers, a band of sisters, a band together that are all moving in the same direction is what really transforms our lives. Yeah, those are all good. I I agree. I think the point about you know who you are is the greatest kind of asset you have in disciple making. Yeah. And that's really where to start if you're like, oh, i got to develop all these competencies. No, just ask, am I becoming? <laughs> um, who am I becoming? And, and, and a question I like to reflect on is if, if every Christian were like me, what would the church be like? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. And what would the deficiencies be? What would the strengths? And that kind of gives you your roadmap then for, okay, here's how I need to grow. Yeah. Conversely, though... Um, the, the, the other end of this, the pendulum where you can swing to, right? You could, you could be too quick to jump in and not focus on your own personal character. There are other people, and, and this is just grievous to me, where you've been a Christian for 15, 20, 30 years, and you've never given away what you have. And you have way more to give away than you realize. And, and you can't be healthy as a Christian without reproducing. That's right. That's the, that's the other thing that, that burdens me, is if you're a Christian who's just accumulated all of these things throughout the years and you're not giving them away, eventually your own faith becomes unhealthy to you because it's, it's all unapplied. Yeah, yeah. You know, un, unlived truth 
is deadly. Yeah. I mean, we've seen that in the Pharisees. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you pile heavy duties on people, but you're not willing to lift them even with a finger. Yeah. If, if you don't apply what you learn, it'll kill you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so to me, my big takeaway from this chapter and a thing that is just um, <laughs> always convicting, endlessly convicting to me, is when Coleman says the acid test of Jesus' life was how he reproduced himself and others. And thinking of that as the acid test of the Christian life, the mark of faithfulness is not what you accomplished, but what you gave away to others. Yeah. How you built up others. Yeah. That is such a gut check. Yeah. In terms of what we're focused on. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Vanderstelt said, you know, if reproduction isn't the end of what you're doing, then you weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing. That's good. Yeah. It, if if mature disciples aren't being raised up, then you're spending your time focused on the wrong thing, no matter how good you think it is. Yeah. Um, and and that's what it requires, though, to think that way is really an eternal perspective on ministry. Because I think there's such a temptation to focus on the measurables and how many people we're reaching, how much money we're bringing in, how, you know, quantifying our impact. Yeah. But you've got to have more of an infinite mindset yeah. and a long-term mindset. And what got me thinking about it, I'm actually reading a book right now called The Infinite Game uh, by Simon Sinek, which is a book about business. And basically, businesses that flourish long-term have goals they can't meet. That they have an infinite vision of the future in terms of so that you're always straining toward the vision. You never actually accomplish it. Right. And so you're always thinking long term about what you're doing. And, and, and Cynic's point is that one of the problems businesses have is where they view things as a finite game, that there's winners and losers in business, and that we have to, you know, we, we have to be cutthroat and cut our margins and do all of these things to, to win in the short term. And, and he says that oftentimes those are the most deadly things you can do for the long term health of your business yeah. because you just create a toxic cutthroat culture. Yeah. We're trying to win a game that's not winnable. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think we can do the same thing in ministry where we go, I want to accomplish this thing and this thing and this thing. And don't realize that, you know, the, the, the scorecard for my life isn't something I can really understand right now. It's, it, it, it's how did I um, invest in other people and how did they invest in other people? Yeah. And so really only eternity can, can show the impact that you've made. That's right. And it takes faith to live that way, right? Because you're not so focused on unmeasurables. What do you think about that? I, I just think it reminded me of a, something that Warren Webster, who was a missionary to Pakistan, said. He said, if I had to live my life over again, I would spend it changing a few lives. And I, I think, I think the, this whole COVID um, thing we've gone through the last year uh -huh. has been a real stress test for the church. Yep. Because so many churches have devoted themselves to their Sunday morning meeting as the end all. That if I, we can just have the, the sharpest meeting we can have, the best preaching, and the most people in the seats, we are a successful church. Well, when you take away Sunday morning. What is the church? What is the church? Right. And if you haven't been making disciples, if you haven't been helping people to grow in their own walk with God, you've got nothing. Because your church was your Sunday morning meeting, and all of a sudden that's been removed from you. So those churches that have poured all their resources and efforts into that thing have kind of been left high and dry. And uh, but the churches who have 
who have really focused on building people, building individuals, they've just found other ways to build individuals in this climate. Yeah. And um, so, again, it gets down to what really lasts, what really matters. Yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, the resilience of the church um, is really built on organically how do disciples make disciples. Yeah. Because we need structures and institutions, but as we've seen, they can fall apart in a heartbeat. Yeah, and do. And do all over the world all the time. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to another business book, but a spiritual truth, you know, the spider and the starfish and that image that organizations that are like a spider, right? When you cut the head off, it's done. Yeah. Right? A starfish, you cut a part of it off and it just becomes another starfish. Right? right? And, and, and that's, that's ultimately how the church becomes resilient is when individual Christians see their primary mission is investing in a few. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when that happens, the church is an unstoppable force in the world. It's as, it's as healthy as it can be when people see right. their mission in that way. Right. And again, it's, it's God's call to every believer. It's uh, every believer can make disciples. Yeah. Um, in their, whether it be their children, their neighbors, um, friends, there's someone that if, if you ask God, God will put that person in your life that you can invest in and that they in turn can invest in somebody else. Right. Yeah, start with one. Yeah. Don't don't complexify it. Simplify it. Start with one and start investing. Yeah. I mean, if you just think of Creekside, if every person, uh, you know, regular attender at Creekside was investing in one person, well, that doubles, uh, you know, our outreach immediately. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I would rather have that than tons of non-believers coming into our services and hearing me preach the gospel. Yeah. If I had to choose yeah. between every Creeksider investing seriously in someone in their sphere of influence and that, there, there's no contest which one I would choose in terms of the exponential impact. Exactly. It's what First Thessalonians 2 says. Yeah. How Thessalonians became Christians. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the challenge then getting back to where we started is this is not unclear. This is clear from Scripture. Yeah. This is what Jesus models for us. And so like anything, the question isn't do we understand it, it's do we actually believe it. Yeah, yeah. And believing it means um, banking on it with our lives yeah. and saying, here is the thing I'm willing to fail at. Right. And that's another good, check, good gut check for me in my own life. It's, it's not what do I want to accomplish, but what am I willing to fail at? Yeah. <laughs> what can I look back and say, even if I didn't do it right, I can say it was worth doing. I did it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is it. Yeah. This is the thing worth failing at. Yeah. And that's a really clarifying thought for me. That's good. That's good. Cool. Anything else you've got? That's about all I got. Good. Well, I hope this was helpful to you listeners. Not as many practical how-tos, but really... Wanted to inspire you to take the next step. If you've listened to this, uh, the we have failed if you're not moved to go out and start doing this. And so that's my prayer for you, listeners, is that you would take this and say, who is the one that I can go invest in? It might be someone outside the faith that you can just start a spiritual conversation with. Uh, it might be someone inside the faith who you know hasn't been invested in, and you Again, you don't have to be 20 steps ahead of that person. You can be one step ahead of that person. Uh, but as long as you're staying one step ahead of them in your own growth, then you are a person who can disciple that person. Yeah. And so just the encouragement, remember that, that, that reproduction is the goal. As Jesus says, 
in John 15, I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit and your, that your fruit might remain. Right. That's why Jesus called us to be his disciples, that we would go and bear fruit. So encourage you listeners, pray on that, think about it, and then go out and do it because Jesus is going to do it through you. Yeah. All right. Thanks, listeners. We'll be back again sometime, maybe next week, maybe next month. Who knows? And we have no idea what we're going to talk about next, but you know what? It'll have to do with habits. So until next time, I'm Jeff, your dad, and uh, this has been Habit Helps. Habit Helps.